We actually became one of the top five single door retailers in the United States. So I had this idea that we would continue to open up stores and managers would manage that store and become an owner of that store. And it happened to be just the worst timing in the world because there was a small little thing coming up called the recession. That's Leslie Levito, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Kara Duffy. And in this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with fellow badass entrepreneur and business coach, Leslie Levito. She's a true soul sister in helping people break free from the life they have to create the life they want through creating their own business. In this episode, she shares her wisdom, her journey from skate shop to C-suite, and how she knew it was time to break free and build her own business around her dream life. If you are intrigued by the thought of using your precious time to do more of what you love with who you love and make more money than you ever have, I invite you to start your own business. Take your first step and book a call with me on my website, caraduffy.com. You can also check out additional resources at learn.caraduffy.com, where you can find my business masterminds, free downloads, online classes, and my Thrive membership, which includes monthly business workshops and weekly group coaching, all taught live. Don't wait until someday. Live your best life now. Thank you for being a yes and coming on the Powerful Ladies podcast. I am so glad to be a guest. I'm thrilled to be here with you, Kara. Well, let's begin. Please tell everybody who you are, what you're up to, and where you are in the world. Sure. Uh, My name is Leslie Levito, and I live on the east side of Los Angeles. And I currently have two businesses. I'm actually discussing an equity partnership for a third, but I have two businesses and really... Although they are different, they are after the same commitment. So what I do is I help people bring their vision to reality. So in one sense, with my one, I have a branding agency called Etcetera. So we actually do the branding for companies. So helping people think of their brand story or their brand strategy, their logos, their color palette, anything visual in nature. And we also execute like products that we make for them or design uniforms, stuff like that. And then I also have another company called Cut Class, which is courses and resources for people who want to start their own business. But again, it's about helping people get their vision going in the world. And how fun is that to do? I mean, it's my favorite thing to do. It's probably your favorite thing to do. It is. You know, I just was dropping off my sister and she was like, so when do you plan to retire? I'm like, what's your retirement goal? And I was like, what is that? What does that mean exactly? And she goes, well, you know, like, when do you plan to stop working? And I said, um, like never. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, but don't you just want to retire where you don't have to do anything? And I just looked at her and I said, well, I love doing what I do. I love working with people, whether it's on the branding side or the business development side, I love watching their light bulb go off where they just suddenly see this is possible for me. I can make this happen. And, you know, I discussed with her, like, I don't see retirement as a thing because I have full freedom and flexibility now. Mm -hmm. So if I want, I, you know, I said next year, if I want to reel it back and only do a couple of projects with my branding agency and take on only a handful of clients and travel the world, I can do that. And then if I want to dial it up the next year, I can. So I don't really, I think that word retirement is traditionally thought of. I think I would just be bored. (laughs) 
Well, I think most people are bored when they retire as well. I mean, my um, my father just retired last September and he's already like, okay, what do I do? Like he keeps applying for jobs and going mm-hmm. to interviews. And the idea that we should want to escape from our life, which is mm-hmm. how I view retirement, I, I don't get. Like we need to start at the beginning and like fix Yeah, it's life. an old <laughs> system that doesn't work. It's not current. It's not modern. I don't even know no. if it really ever worked back then for people, but you know, I was doing, um, some research for the, my podcast and I found that there's a Gallup poll that shows that 85% of people are not happy working as full-time employees mm-hmm. and 85%, like that's the vast majority of people. And then an average person will spend 90,000 hours in a career. So if you're going to go spend 90,000 hours, at, at least one third, if not more of your like prime years, it should be doing something that lights you up, brings you joy. You get to contribute. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm yeah. always surprised at how many people don't even, well, everyone's always thinking too small for sure. So that's always a, one thing. But then how many people don't even think to ask themselves those questions? Like, it's not, I don't like this job, let me find another one. Like, it's like what's coming at you versus what you could just create. What? How have you experienced that with your clients and what frustrates you slash um, gets you excited about how you can help people in that space? Um, I think like the biggest thing that frustrates me is that everyone's just bought into this system (laughs) and because it's what we're all told to do. And because everyone's doing it, we just don't even question it. It's almost like water to the fish. So we're all told, unless you happen to be lucky enough to be born into one of those three percenter families that have success and wealth, and they have that full-time freedom. But the majority of us are born into a circumstance where we're told to do really well in school, get good grades, get go to good college, get a good yeah. job, work real hard, keep getting promotions. And that's the key to success. And, you know, I did a lot of that and I was really fortunate. I made it to the executive suite. I mm-hmm. became a chief of operations and had that six figure salary and the cool title and the cool company, but it wasn't, I mean, I got all the way there and I was lucky to even get there. And then I mm-hmm. got there and was like, what did I just do? Like I just spent (laughs) so many years of my life, just put myself in close to $200,000 of debt, getting my education. And now I can't even spend time with my kids. And so I'm just, what frustrates me is that there is this system that is set up and people don't even realize it. It's like, we are, so many of us are like literally in the matrix and we don't see it. And it's crazy because I even look at like our school system. Most of us, we go through a school system that preps us for this work employment system where you go to school Monday through Friday, eight to three, and then you trade that when you quote, grow up for a job Monday through Friday, nine to five, if you're lucky, you stop, you trade your teacher for a boss, you trade your homework for a work deliverable. So we're indoctrinated from a very young age to think a certain way. And then when I work with people and just even you just sit and listen, even at a restaurant, listen to the conversations around you, people are so unhappy and they're so stuck, but they see it as like, it. that's just how it is because there's mm-hmm. so many people doing the same thing. 
So it just seems yeah. like it's normal and people are resigned. That could, it could even be another way. So that is the most frustrating thing. And then when people actually start to have those aha moments and see, wait, I just like hook, line and sinker went for the system because that's what I was told. And they start to unravel that whole story. That's when I start to get really excited. It's like watching, I'm a mom. It's like watching your kids walk for the first time. Like it's, it's amazing. I get like, I have goosebumps right now just thinking about how people are when they get to that space. Well, it's like they they can see the other door, even if it's one other door to start. And you're like, I almost feel like I start becoming full color to somebody versus black and white. Because if you can see the world I'm in, like there's so many colors and so many options. So until you see it, you can't even see me completely as a human. And like, yeah. otherwise I'm talking like I'm a crazy person to most people. Like, okay, whatever, that works for you. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> it can work for everybody. Yeah. And then like, when you see how like dumbfounded they are, that they were like, wait, what? <laughs> I could do what and how? Like one of my favorite conversations is when you start to peel back how when you're an employee, you are living on post-tax dollars. Yes. And when you are in business for yourself, you get to take advantage of pre-tax dollars. Like our country, the United States and many other Western culture countries are set up for business owners, but we're never taught it in school and people don't talk about it. And I almost feel like even business owners to business owners, like I kind of remember like chuckling, remember like, remember how we used to be so stupid and we didn't realize that there was this pre-tax advantage where I guess to make it simple, it's like when you're taking advantage of pre-tax dollars, it's almost like getting a 20 or 30% discount on everything because you're able to spend money before a dollar is taxed. But it's kind of like it and it's kind of like an inside joke when you become a business owner. You're like, oh yeah, we figured it out. But you would think that we'd be like writing it in the sky. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true because um, you know, most the wealthiest people in the US in particular, they're not people, they're businesses. They might be a human, but like Jeff Bezos is not paying taxes like an employee, Mm -mm. right? So even regardless of political standings, when we talk about who's paying taxes and who's not, that should not be the the question we're really asking because no one in their right mind would pay themselves a salary over whatever the mark is, $400,000 a year anyway, because why? Like everything should be in stock options or something else or Mm -hmm. assets. And it's almost like a mute conversation. Like who, who are the people earning that money as employees and why would anyone ever torture them in that capacity? (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's really like understanding how to flip the script. I was even thinking last year, um, it was a big move for me, but this actual space that you're seeing used to be this dusty, dirty, nasty garage that just crap was stored in. And we invested $20,000 into turning it into a home office. So it's like, it's a different strategy, right? Like where you get $20,000, you invest it, turn it into your home office. That $20,000 is completely mm-hmm. a write-off. And then I've also increased the value of my home. Yes. And given myself a place to work. And it's just like small things. You just have to shift how it's, it's like, if you've been standing on one side of the room as an employee, 
to be a business owner, you have to figure out how to stay on the other side of the room and find those communities and those mentors, people like yourself, Carrot, who will help people actually have the conversations and learn the tips and the tricks and the tools to get to the other side of the room. Because once you get there, you're like, wait, I'm never going to the other side of the room. (laughs) What was I doing over there? (laughs) So... Before you were, well, I should tell everybody that you and I first met when I was working at Supra and you were one of um, a handful of consultants that we had brought in, specifically you and your partner to help us work on branding and the storytelling side of it. And, um, you know, but before, because you've had a couple of businesses on your own that you've had, but take us back to the beginning. So when you finished school and you were going up the corporate ladder, where were you at? Where were you focusing on? And how did you end up making the jump to the other yeah. side of the room? So this is interesting. So um, my very, very first business, I was a freelancer in high school. I worked at children's birthday parties, doing face painting and playing games with the kids and, and balloon sculpting. You know, little did I know that I was a freelancer. It just was what I did. And then I also had some jobs working at the mall, you know, and I remember that feeling of like making $8 an hour and having someone dictate when and where I had to be somewhere. Mm-hmm. But my entire life, my whole upbringing was only one question. It was never, what do you want to do when you grow up? It was, what kind of doctor are you going to be? Because I come from a whole like generations and generations of doctors. And so I was on the pre-med track. I was a junior in undergrad. And there was just this, I started snowboarding, which I loved. And I just started thinking about like, what do I really want? And I realized that I wanted freedom and flexibility. And I realized that I don't want to be a doctor. That's what my parents want me to do. So I dropped out of school when I was at the end of my junior year, which was everyone was like, you're crazy. Just finish out the next year. And I was like, Mm -hmm. why finish out a year of something that I know I don't want? And I started a skate and snowboard shop. I actually joined one that was closing right outside of Philadelphia and they were closing it down. And I was like, Hey guys, can you let me play with this for a year? And it was really my first you know, quote, real business experience. And I remember that first year we made $10,000 and they were, you know, at the end of that year, reevaluating the owner, uh, Mark, he was like, this is not worth $10,000, all this work for 10 grand, you know? And I was like, well, but we made 10 grand. Can you give me one more year? Cause I, there was something about it that I really loved. I loved skateboarding and snowboarding, the whole industry, the environment. Mm-hmm. I loved being in retail and having basically a retail boutique. End of year two, we did a, like a, a net profit of $40,000. And even then he was like, listen, babe, it was my boyfriend. He was like, listen, $40,000 is not like you, you don't want to be making 40 grand a year. And I was like, I know but just give me one more year. (laughs) Right. So, you know, I go from 10 to 40 to 80, and then we're just blasting off like well into the six figures, you know, we were making like quarter million, 300 Mm -hmm. and we were traveling the world, snowboarding our brains out. Like we had that full freedom. We could do whatever we wanted. If it was dumping in Tahoe, we flew to Tahoe, you know, and I really loved in my twenties, just really living the life and I guess I had some natural instincts from business. 
I also was in the right place at the right time. We had a really incredible skateboard team, Chris Cole, Tommy Asta, Pete Eldridge, like all these amazing skaters happened to skate for our shop in my twenties. And I rode that whole action sports wave. And we actually became one of the top five single door retailers in the United States. Um, so I was really excited. I went back to school, completed my undergraduate degree, got my business degree. Cause I knew that I needed some real knowledge when it came to business. And I always have been about giving back to the people who build my companies. So I had this idea that we would continue to open up stores and managers would manage that store and become an owner of that store. So we branched out and opened up door number two and then a secondary like consignment shop for resale because we were also really into just the whole upcycling idea. And it happened to be just the worst timing in the world because there was a small little thing coming up called the recession that I didn't, you know, I had no idea that it was coming. So in 2009, um, that business closed and um, it was definitely one of the hardest parts of my life then. I look back at it very fondly, but in 2009, you have to get, I was 36 years old just closed a business that I had built for 13 years, filing for bankruptcy and getting a divorce. And I'm a single mom. So just <laughs> so, checking a few boxes at once. Yeah. I was like, dang, I have completely face planted. Um, yeah. And so that's when, you know, given everything that I was dealing with, that's when I went into corporate because I think I needed some time to like lick my wounds. I definitely mm-hmm. was not in any place or space emotionally, financially in any way to go out and start another business. So that's when I went into corporate. I ended up moving out to Los Angeles and I reached out to Eric Ellington, who is a skateboarder that I had met um, in my days as a shop owner. And they were looking for someone at his company, Baker Boys. And I started there and worked there for almost four years. It was really incredible. I got to see like a whole nother side of business. I really was able to train a lot of my executive knowledge, a lot about spreadsheets. I learned a lot about numbers. The CFO there was incredible. She really took me under her wing, Angela, and she taught me about money and finances and business, which was the one piece I was always really weak at. And I did that for almost four years, put myself back into school, got my MBA because I felt that I needed that graduate degree. And I got into the executive suite with those guys and it was having my second son. And I just was really struggling because I also had a seven-year-old and he was like, you're never here. I remember being at a red light And he's like, why do you have to go to work all the time? I hate that you're working. You're never around. I want you around more, mom. And I said, well, do you like want to have our home and our car and our lifestyle that we have? And he said, you know, I'd rather be homeless on the street with you if I could spend more time with you, which was like a a knife to my heart. And that's kind of when I started really reevaluating like, okay, It feels like I've made it. I'm an executive and I have all this money, but I don't have time and I don't have freedom and I'm not being the mom that I want to be. And I just had a baby Mm -hmm. and, you know, having a seven-year-old and having a baby, you realize that those babies, they become seven very quickly. So, um, at that point I was 
remarried and we had a long, my husband and I had a long, hard talk about what's important to us. Mm-hmm. I was evaluated after getting my MBA with an HR company. And I was like, I could go and be an executive. I could make $300,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And a nanny can raise our child. I might be around, like I'll be flying around and, you know, and what do we want? Mm-hmm. And we decided that it was more important for me to earn proportionately the same amount of money, but not be chained to that 50, 60 hour work week. And yeah. so I was convinced I could earn six figures working 20 to 25 hours a week. I was like, mm-hmm. I can do it. <laughs> um, and so I opened up, I started consulting and I started doing the brand agency thing. And I ended up working with um, my previous business partner, Leah Faust. And yeah, we had a great run together and I, and you know, we did it. Mm-hmm. We were both moms, had a lot of priority with our kids and families, and we built a small boutique branding agency in Los Angeles, and we just rocked it and had yeah. a lot of everything that we were looking for. Yeah, you guys are phenomenal. And and to have two women working together who are um, equal independent forces, I thought was very cool to see because um, it's not often that that like you both were very much equals when you showed up, at least with working with me mm-hmm. and with Supra. And it was very cool to see that. Um, and also to see you around some of your other clients. Like I got had the pleasure to be invited to that restaurant roundtable you guys did, which was awesome. Um, yeah, as soon as I saw I met you guys like the first day, I'm like, I'm keeping these girls because they are on <laughs> my wavelength. <laughs> we felt the same around about you. When we left, we were like, Kara is badass and we want to keep in touch with her. And You know, I guess that's my one tip to anyone who's listening is when you're building your life, your business, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, that community aspect and having other people, collaborators, partners is really key. For me, you know, I had a business partner who my strengths were her weaknesses and vice versa. And so, you know, I brought a real strategic lens to our branding agency and she brought a real creative lens. And together we were able to do way more. Mm -hmm combined than we would have separately. But I, you know, I do notice a lot of founders in the beginning, they're kind of like, it's like, maybe there's an area that's very hard for them and they don't want to do it. And sometimes I just think maybe you need to find someone. And sometimes when you find someone who's your partner or collaborator, they don't have to legally be your partner and collaborator even. So currently I have a company called, et cetera. I've relaunched the branding agency with a brand new partner, but it started off Um, Leah and I decided to go our different ways at the beginning of the pandemic. And so here I was a strategist and I didn't have my creative other side. And then someone who used to be on the Faust Levito team, her name is Sho. She was a creative who had no strategy and she didn't even understand how to start her freelancing business. Mm -hmm. And so in the beginning for the first four months, we just traded services. It was like, you help me with some of my visual looks and I'll help you like with your QuickBooks and getting your business going. I helped her figure out her budgets and just getting everything going. And it just happened to be that we clicked. And then after six months of collaborating together, we were like, let's just make it legit. So we became, <laughs> so we became et cetera, um, January, 2021. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, I, one of my favorite statistics is that the average American business owner who is by themselves, one person business owner, they make around $45,000 a year in revenue. A four person team makes 450,000. Like, I know it's causation and not correlation, but come on. Like if you want to 10 X your business, 
get some friends. <laughs> get yeah. some legit and, friends. And, and I think a lot of what we've been talking about is conversations that we've heard and grown up with and then breaking those those old whatever. And you hear, never mix friends with pleasure. I don't know, like, I get that maybe, you know, some business deals can go south and it can have impact on relationships. But to me, if you can partner with people and create a shared horizon, you know, where are we mm-hmm. going together? And you really are in communication. You think things through. I mean, we take, show and I, we stop every like two or three months and we make sure there is like no wrinkles between us. We are always very clear about any tiny thing because we're not going to let a a grain of sand turn into like this, you know, rock between us. Um, Mm -hmm. But that don't mix that, you know, don't mix friendship and business is archaic. It it really is. I I have had so many clients where we've built their teams for the first time. And I would say half of them hired someone they knew and they were afraid. They're like, can I even interview them? I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, but make sure you interview them extra hard. Yeah. (laughs) That's your hardest interview. (laughs) And it's, that's the best part. Like when you work with people that you love, and then it was so funny yesterday, I was in a business meeting with show and it was long. It was like an hour and a half. And then we were like, oh my gosh, we're fried. We got to go. So we hang up and I literally walked 10 steps. And then I called her as my girlfriend. And I was like, hey, man, I just got out of the longest business meeting with my business partner. It was good, but it was long. And man, I just need to talk to a girlfriend. And she's laughing, you know, because she's like, (laughs) Um, but I, you know, I guess even when I had the shop back in my twenties, we were all friends. We were family. Mm -hmm. Um, so well, it's so much more fun to build things that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the other thing people say is like not to get emotional about business. And I'm like, that is also a lie. Like I want to work with people who like are so emotionally invested in their customer and what they're doing, not in an ego way, not in a let's be dramatic for fun way, but you know, if you don't think you're saving the world in some capacity, doing what you're doing or adding to the the goodness ripple going across the world. <laughs> I love like, that. why are yeah. you doing it? And, and so people get, you know, the going back to storytelling and branding, I would say nine out of 10 businesses are not telling their real story. They're nervous too, because they've heard all these silly things of like what not to do. And then they're like, why isn't my email converting? Why isn't anyone saying yes? Because you're not telling them the truth. You're not saying why you started it or why it matters to you or all these underlying things that we're so afraid to be vulnerable and actually say. And then once you do, people are like, I want to hang out with you. Totally. I feel the big thing that people do when it comes to their brand or their story or any kind of marketing is their instinct is to broadcast wide because they want to capture a lot of people. And it, it what it does is it creates a very vanilla experience for people. Although vanilla is my favorite ice cream. I think vanilla is great, but it's, you know, someone said it to me and I really love this analogy. They were like, you could broadcast a wide message that people 80% relate with, which is pretty high, 80%. Mm -hmm. But in today's time where people are getting bombarded by social media, I mean, we are seeing so many brand messages and stories continuously. 80% makes someone like, oh, that was great. 95%, 100% has someone actually act. So it's about narrowing in on a niche that you, that can relate to you a hundred percent. And while it feels like you're reducing your potential, you're actually increasing it 
Um, and that level of authenticity, I think, is really important. I've even noticed for myself, I mean, I don't have facts exactly, but I've just been noticing the difference between TikTok and Instagram. And on, and on TikTok, people are very unpolished. It's just mm-hmm. like whatever flies. But you can see like the potency of things that are like growing on TikTok. And I think it's just because people let their freak flag fly. They <laughs> let their weird out. And it's yeah. the weird that lets us all be so unique. Mm-hmm. No, it's... And I think, I think narrowing a niche can be really overwhelming for a new business or someone who's like, trying to still navigate, are they going like left all the way or slightly, or like, you know, really trying to figure out the degrees of, of where they're headed. And it's like, you know, we talk about target customers or dream customers, but it's like, who do you want to hang out with? Like going back to the friend thing, like, I don't want customers that I don't want to spend time with because even though I've broken free from the corporate cycle of work, I still give X number of hours to work. So I want to hang out with people who I'm excited to hang out with. It doesn't mean that I would want to go on vacation with all of my clients or who I work with, but do I respect them and care about them and want to see them move forward? Otherwise, it's just not worth taking the time. Like how it's really honoring because every time like you're choosing, it's like your family, like your kids or Mm -hmm. someone else. So they better be pretty awesome if it's not your kids. Yeah, I that reminds me of this amazing, you know, sometimes you get messages and who knows who that messenger is going to be. So my messenger was this random guy on an airplane, an older gentleman who had a successful business. And as we were talking, I said, you know, what do you think? This was a time when our branding agency was doing well, but we were kind of struggling because it just seemed like everything was a lot of work. And I mm-hmm. we didn't feel like we were truly getting compensated for what value we were bringing. So I was asking him some questions about, you know, what he thought the keys to success was. And he said, everything for his business changed when he stopped saying yes to just any contract because he was worried about cash flow. And he started only saying yes to his dream clients or the kind mm-hmm. of client that he really wanted to work with. And he's like, it's it's hard because there's a moment of like free fall, right? Where mm-hmm. you're natural tendency is to say, yes, I want that contract, even though that's not a perfect fit. And I see some red flags because you want that income coming in. And he said the moment he narrowed in and only said yes to the people who he wanted to work with, his whole entire business shifted and his margins really increased. And I liken it to, I mean, I definitely jumped on the whole Marie Kondo thing when she came out in, I don't remember what year it was, but I feel like it was maybe 2016 when I Marie Kondoed my closet. And does this bring me joy as a filter Mm -hmm. or decision, a criteria of like, am I keeping it in my closet or not? When I did that, I remember getting to the end of that process, cleaning out my closet and thinking, um, I'm not, I'm definitely going to be using this for everything because if it doesn't bring me joy, what, why? Like if this relationship doesn't bring me joy, no, if this activity doesn't bring me joy and it, it really helped me train my muscles so that I got out of that space of obligation. I used to be the yes woman who just said yes because I did. I felt bad or I felt obligated or whatever. I had all these reasons or maybe it was my upbringing or personality. And it really helped me kind of narrow in on what I really wanted to spend my time on and be very intentional. Yes, I do feel 
that I attract a lot of overwhelmed business owners. And so I often joke, like, we're going to have to Marie Kondo your to-do list. Like 80% of what is on there, you do not need to do. Are you ready? (laughs) You know, it's, it's, I love her. I love the books. I've read the Spark Joy business one as well. And I think there's like, what's that next step of how to actually build a business where only everything you're doing, you're like, I can say yes to this. You know, it's like, what's Mm -hmm. the, the creative phrase of like, only do what's practical and necessary, but if it's practical and necessary, make it beautiful. I'm totally mm-hmm. butchering that quote. So I'll put the real one in the show notes. Yeah. But it, it's the idea of like, again, like we're doing, investing so much, spending so much time, money, resources, attention. Like it has to be awesome. Yeah, you get this one life. Mm-hmm. And even in the event, there's secretly multiples. We don't know that. And we've yeah. kick ass now. <laughs> you can count on this one though. So make it count. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when, when you hear the words powerful and ladies separately, what do they mean to you? And when they're together, does the definition or how you view them change? That's a really interesting question. Um, I think that I am a little bit of an outlier because, okay, so (laughs) this is funny. I can't believe I'm talking about this. So my name is Leslie Diane and I was named after Leslie Stahl and Diane Sawyer. I love that. Distinctly because they were two of the first females who really broke through a male dominated field. And my dad was literally like, she's going to, my daughter is going to go do things that men do. So I really grew up. I mean, yes, there's a whole environment and a system surrounding Mm -hmm. me. Right. But when you look at my nuclear environment, I really grew up in an environment where my dad was like, anything boys can do, you can do better. And so he really brought me up to think as an equal. And so I don't think in, if you were to be a fly on the wall watching me. Have I been in circumstances where I was an equal? No, I'm a woman. And by the way, I'm a brown woman. But how I am experiencing it in that moment came from a place of power because Mm -hmm. I was taught that from the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, I think if I had other conversations surrounding me, it would be a little bit different. But um, when I think of powerful for me, it doesn't land as masculine or feminine. And then obviously when I add ladies to it, I feel just empowered by that. It makes me really excited because there are, I, I never will favor women over men exactly, but I love women because I feel that as a whole and a group, they haven't had as many opportunities and taken as many shots. And so as we start to see that turning and flipping, We're just going to see more creativity and it's going to happen anytime we're adding diversity, right? Whether it's diversity because it's a female or diversity because of race or because of culture or because of, you know, gender or any of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, and it's, it's always interesting to me because there's so, what I notice around women, I consider powerful ladies. There is a heavy uh, a heaviness to their power that that has an underlying like calmness. Like, do, remember the weebles? Like, we will wobble like kids' mm-hmm. toys. Yeah. 
I feel like there's something about women I know who I really am like, that is a powerful lady where it's not, there's this strength that's weighted that like, it's not going to change no matter what happens to them. It's just, how are they going to move with it through space and time? And there are some men who I have felt that same energy around, but I, time and time again, I feel that more around women who I put into the powerful ladies bucket. Yeah. I mean, I think if I just instinctively think of powerful man versus Mm -hmm. powerful lady, when I'm thinking of a powerful lady, I'm thinking of grace and ease and generosity. When I think about a powerful man, I don't have quite, and and not that they can't be, and Mm -hmm. it's just a stereotype, I suppose, but um, there is a grace around powerful lady. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, I grew up as a tomboy and I definitely went through this phase of no girlfriends. Like I didn't mm-hmm. like females that much because I felt they were going to be manipulative or backstabbing or I had, I don't know. I had all these conversations about relationships with other women. And I am so glad to have shifted into a completely new space. Faust Levito was an all female agency, not by design. We didn't say we're going to go be Mm -hmm. an all female agency. We just looked for people who had the same values. And it happened that we were coincidentally all female. Um, And even et cetera is predominantly female. We do have a guy on our team. Um, And we just look for people who share the same values. And Mm -hmm. I'm really happy to see you know, we work with people who are on the older side of Gen Z or the very young um, millennials. And I am happy to see that there's more balance and evenness between the guys and the ladies. Yes. Yes. So we're on the a podcast that I recorded earlier, we were talking about how there's hope, you know, like seeing that even in the conversations about the 40 hour work week has to go or like workplace flexibility needs to be upgraded. Like whether it's from the environment or human rights or whatever it is, I, there's this sense of urgency where I would say our generation and younger is like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> nope. I have to admit, I was really excited, you know, because I was looking for the silver lining, of course, excited about the pandemic, but this whole work from home situation, because I was like, you know what? This is going to be the thing that tip, that's the tipping point because if you send a whole bunch of people home and they understand what remote life could be like, and you're forcing companies that they have to do it, we'll see what happens when that whole wave mm-hmm. coming back to the office, like people will start to stand up for yeah. work-life balance and having, you know, a, some more creative, more flexible situations. Because it's the first time people actually have a breath to be like, oh, wait, I can do this from home. Oh, wait, I can do these things. I mean, it's the shifts that have happened have been and people waking up to that there is something else has been great for my business. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you. But um, it's also a whole level. I mean, there's the number one out of work a group are moms right now because so many moms were like the same conversation you were having of this does not work. I'll quit and figure it out. And it's just, I work with men and women, but it's like, I have a predominance of women being referred from other women. And it's really interesting to see how they're thinking about it. I remember years ago, there was, I do not remember the organization's name, maybe, you know, but it was 
founded by a woman who left her job when she, she was a C-suite person, left when she had her first or second kid and realized there's all these other women like her. Like, why don't we split roles between two qualified women? Like, why can't two women be a, a COO or a CMO? Why does it have to be full-time one person? Um, and I'm Brilliant. really curious. It's so brilliant. (laughs) And I'm really curious about like, that was 10 years ago that I first found that company, I think. So now I'm wondering, have they gotten an uptick? Are they getting more things? Because now seems like a perfect time for bringing that, not just for women, but for anybody back to Mm -hmm. an opportunity. Shared roles. Yeah. That's smart. I also don't understand just, you know, how much your office costs that you just had, that you've built for yourself. But like renting space is the dumbest thing most businesses spend money on, in my opinion. Like I would rather have great work from somebody and have them work from wherever they want to than force everybody to sit into a bunch of cubicles. And I I know- Yeah, I think the whole office situation, okay, I do believe that there is something special when you can come together and be together, obviously. 100%. But I do think there's this- um, like foundation of mistrust. Like you mm-hmm. got to be here so that we can watch you. But I don't know about you, but when I worked in an office, I just wasted a whole bunch of time. <laughs> I find that now I'm really big into doing work blocks. So yes, I separate my day into levels of thinking. So level four thinking is like, I turn off my phone. I tell everybody I'm going in for three hours and I go into a state of flow. And when I go into level four flow thinking, I can do what I would do at a normal office job, an eight hour day. I can kick it out in about two, three hours. Mm -hmm. And so it's just about working really smart and everyone has different biorhythms. So I always tell my team, I say, listen, you know, work when it works for you. Yes. You got to be responsible. There's Mm -hmm. client meetings. There's things that we have to coordinate time-wise, but you know, our team is just, Hey, I touched this the next time I'm going to be available is this. Like we just make sure that we're all working together and in communication. It totally can work. It can so work. I mean, I had a side project almost my entire corporate career. You did? Of course you did. Yeah, but it's it, it wasn't always like for profit. It wasn't always something, but I mean, Powerful Ladies started long before I left corporate life. But, you know, it wasn't that I was making money on, but I had plenty of time in my day to be like, hmm, because so much of it is like a question here, uh, this there, or hey, let's connect on this later. It's, it's, I think it's really irresponsible how we set up expectations in, in a corporate environment. And so much of it is not based on efficient productivity or producing results. So like, the number of dumb meetings I have sat in in my life. I know. Dumb meetings and then meetings with, um, about the meetings, about the meetings where you're like, you know, this could have just been an email. I've actually found this, my, this is here. This is my little meeting tip. I have started using a tool called Loom, L-O-O-M. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love it. Instead of having meetings, I just do, do a quick Loom, which basically screen record. It's a screen recording of whatever you're looking at on your computer. And I just send it to people. And mm-hmm. when I send it to people for the first time, they're like, wow, this is so efficient. And then they can just Loom you back. And yes. so you just kind of have a quickie whenever it works for you. Yes. And I actually have friends who are currently making an app um, I called teak, like critique. 
Mm-hmm. Or you can literally, it's like a, a space to put all of them. So you can even like circle things and comment and do it for anything you want. Wow. So, Can't wait till that app comes out. Right. Um, but it's, it's part of having a small business is that we don't have to do anything stupid. <laughs> like yeah. when, when somebody <laughs> asks me, like, how has my life changed? Like I stopped doing all the stupid shit, worrying about that person's ego, worrying about this, like these dumb reports, like. There's so much waste in yeah in corporate America, and there are people in there who are very smart and know these things. And I was part of the group fighting, like, can we please stop doing all this stuff? And somebody would say no, and you're like, okay, you're spending a lot of money to pay me if that's really what you want me to do. They, when a company starts getting really big, they will almost inevitably lose that sense of like being nimble, mm-hmm. where you're responsive. Like you, you know, we all build systems and structures, whether we do it intentionally or we do it accidentally. And then there's just in companies, this, this idea of like, we just do it that way because that's how we've always done it. Mm -hmm. And that's not the smartest and most efficient way to get things done. No, no. So going back to the list of things that either inspire you or frustrate you, (laughs) when you see like clients coming to you, what is a common thing that's like, you see it instantly like, Oh, we're going to have to fix that. I think the biggest area pain point that I see that I'm like, literally, um, I don't, I'm trying to think back right now. I don't want to say I've never seen it. Cause I'm sure there has been like maybe one, but project management <laughs> is such a missing and a project, not only project management, but project managers, like someone who's yes. dedicated. I mean, People literally say, I mean, people come up to me and say, we're starting a new restaurant. We're going to open in three months and they haven't found a location or they haven't even started building. And I'm like, what planet are you living on? Like people don't understand how to project an idea out into the future and then work back Mm -hmm. all the milestones and things that have to come in order for it to happen. Whether it's starting a restaurant or starting a business or whatever project you're doing, with that project management of understanding <laughs> what there is to do, mm-hmm. what it's going to cost to do all that stuff and what time it's going to take. Everyone's just very childlike and airy fairy. Like it's almost like, you know, you and I are both in California, but it's like, Hey, Kara, why don't I come pick you up? We'll go have breakfast in New York city tomorrow in my Tesla, you know, we'll drive tonight. And it's like, no, y- you and I know that that's not possible when it comes to business and projects, people just run on these fantasies. And then everyone's stressed working on a fake deadline because it's, everything's mm-hmm. always late. And it's like, well, yeah, of course it's late because you had very unrealistic expectations to begin with. That's definitely my big one. Well, and my COO heart, here's your CEO heart in that <laughs> for sure. Yeah. COO to COO confessions. Yes. <laughs> for real. <laughs> no, it's because because right after that, you listed all the things. If there's no project manager, there's no budget, there's no calendar, there's no roles or responsibilities. There's like, Everyone just having a party being like, it can happen. And you're like, what? Even um, I had a, a woman who is currently an operations manager at a footwear company. An ex-colleague of mine was like, can you talk to her? I've never done that role you have. And so we had a conversation and she's like, yeah, we're implementing all these new systems. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, who's in- responsible for the system? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, mm-hmm. Someone has to be there to train everyone on the system and hold them accountable to the system. And it's a lot of work the first three months because you're forcing everybody to go back in line and use the system. 
But after that, you have to fix it and upgrade it and all the problems. And she's like, oh, I'm like, yeah, most people in corporations totally miss that. Uh, yeah. And, and everywhere, you know, it's interesting. I, it, this is actually, I teach this in my course, but what I notice is everyone loves to come up with ideas <laughs> because ideating is so sexy and fun. It's like you're a child and you're really in that space of possibility. Like what could be, mm-hmm. everyone loves it. There are few people who love what I think is even sexier, which is execution. Yeah. Getting those ideas. Yeah. I, I know that you're, an, you're someone who like loves execution, getting those ideas into fruition to mm-hmm. me is where it's at and it's where the money is at. But what I've noticed is people come up with an idea, then they never have a game plan or some kind of strategy to execute it. Then everything starts to like wobble or fall apart or it never comes up. And then they start to reevaluate. Was that even a good idea? So mm-hmm. then they just jump to the next idea uh, because yep. it's sexy and fun and easy to brainstorm. And so I do notice that I work with a lot of people. I think a lot of reasons why people have imposter syndrome or so much fear and doubt. If you are a continuous ideator, ideate, 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 but you never execute, mm-hmm. you don't know yourself to be someone who can produce a result. Yes. So you kind of get stuck. And that's what I really want people to start to realize is, all that's missing for most people is some kind of structure or framework, right? So yes. that's what, like, if I had an idea and I work with you, Kara, you provide the structure and framework. You are someone who like has courses, you're a coach, mm-hmm. you are the structure. Just like if I want to get in shape, I'm going to work with a personal trainer. They give me the yes. structure and they tell me everything, but that structure and framework and accountability is what makes execution happen. But I don't know. People just like to, we'll just skip that part. Well, it's, it's like when people ask you, like, what's your superpower? I'm like, I can make shit happen from nothing. <laughs> and they're like, really? I'm like, most people can't. <laughs> like, like and, and I remember people, you know, being on a panel with some other people and they're like, I'm a musician. I'm in this. And you're like, cool. Where's your body of work? Where's your book? And they're like, oh, I'm working on it. I'm like, in my head, jerky judging me was like, you can't declare that you like, Sure, we're in pers- possibility game. Yes, 100% manifest it. But we're up here supposed to be being experts and you don't have any body of work to show anyone. Like, it's not real. And then I get so frustrated. Like, I love ideas. I love being in that space, but I really love, like, it existing. Like, we can touch it. We can talk about it. You can buy it. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's cool. Like, that. that's like, I don't know. That's the, the Christmas morning. That's not like waiting for Santa, like, no, I don't know. It's just, I, you know, somebody asked me once, how do I get more confident? I'm like, go do scary stuff. Yes. (laughs) What? Yeah. And I feel like it's the same thing. It's like everyone, I've been using the phrase lately that we're two inches away. You are two inches away from your million dollar plan. You are two inches away from having more than you could ever imagine you want, but like, you got to work those two inches. Like, yeah, it's, um, one of my early mentors told me the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is so small. Again, like two inches. It's about who are the people who aren't going to just think about it or Mm -hmm. talk about it. They're actually going to get it out of their head or out of the domain of language into a plan 
And then look at the plan and start taking actions. I'm going to share something with you because this is like one of my favorite math things. Yes. I think everyone could improve 1% a day. 1%, not a big deal, right? Did you know that 1% improvement a day compounds over a year to be 3,800% improvement? So if you just do something small and consistent every day, in the space of one year, you can be 38 times better. But the key is staying consistent and Mm -hmm. keeping that structure and accountability that has you stay consistent. Because you'd be, I mean, even for myself, I look back to where I was a year ago. I was just reviewing yesterday and I was like, oh man, I cannot believe what has happened in the last year. I've always wanted to be, sometimes I've met people and they're talking and I'm like, do you sleep? Like, how do you run all those things and do all that stuff? And to just yesterday, I was like, oh my gosh, I have two businesses. I'm getting equity stake in a third business. I just got invited to potentially be in another business. I have two kids, you know, and it's not like I'm not sacrificing my mm-hmm. husband or me being a daughter or me being a sister or a friend, because again, my community is around me. So like, I'm like doing it with the people that I know and love. So, um, but it's really just heads down 1% a day. People ask me, Mm -hmm. you bounced back from bankruptcy, getting a divorce, losing your business. Like you were at rock bottom. How did you get out? And I said, it took about three years Mm -hmm. of completely rolling up my sleeves and just chipping away at it. Small actions every day. Well, and I, I bet as well, like when you go into that space where you have a whole shift, there's also this like tunnel vision that happens. And I think this is aligned with like the KonMari process or even minimalism. Like when, you're, when your scope of you gets so narrowed, you're like, it, like, I have to get this in. I can only have this much time. There's only this much money. There's only this much whatever. All of our energy gets pushed into that one place. And it's amazing what happens. And it goes back to that niche story. You know, I once heard a guy tell me, we can debate later if this is, you know, patriarchal or not. But he said that, you know, women are like a river. You know, the best thing a man can do is like be the banks of the river and direct them where they should go so they don't flood a whole city. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I don't think that only applies to women. But like with people's energy, it's like how if we focus it, like we can literally achieve anything. Like you look at people in the Olympics, you look at, you know, people going into outer space, whatever it is, like there is nothing that's impossible. But we we choose to stay in this dizzy tornado of like, I don't know what to do. And it's such a lie. It's it's a lie we tell ourselves of I'm too busy. Or yeah, I don't have because- time. If you pick what it is that you're going to do, then you got to put your money where your mouth is and you got to actually do versus being in the turmoil and the drama of like, I am so busy because it, you know, it sounds, and you'll get so much agreement from people. You are so busy. I'm busy too. We're all so busy. Let's just Um, have a cocktail and a cake. So what, what are you excited about? There's been so many changes. There's so much movement. You talked about all your business things. Like what else are you excited about, whether it's work or, you know, the rest of your life? Um, 
I am most excited about me personally have broken into a new space of self-expression and allowing people like access to that. Cause I noticed like for me, (laughs) I've always had myself as like, I'm such an introvert. I don't do things like that. That's not me. Oh, I would never. And I really started just playing the game of like, okay, where are my boundaries? What's out of bounds? Okay, let's go do all that stuff out of bounds and just scaring the living crap out of myself. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, One of the things that I do for fun. So my seven-year-old is in this band with this company called Kid Row. They get four or five kids together. They have lessons once a week for three months and the kids rotate on the instruments and they're just there to learn instruments and play songs. They have a performance. So I told the owner, oh, you should do this for adults. It'd be really cool. And so they do have an adult row and he invited me to do it. And I conveniently forgot about it and was too busy. And then the next session came up January, 2020. And instead of asking me like, when was a good day? He just, this guy, Justin just put me in a band. So I was making dinner and I checked my email and I got this email and it was like, your band is starting in 20 minutes. And I was like, oh my God. And I didn't, I didn't have time to come up with an excuse or to get too stressed. I was more stressed about not showing up on time because I'm, I'm on time. <laughs> so I showed up to this band and I fell in love with it. You gotta, you gotta get like, I've, I don't eat karaoke and I don't play guitar or drums or bass or any of that stuff. So here I am at the time, I guess I was like 46 in a band and had to get through all those conversations of like, I'm too old. This is awkward. I can't do this. I can't perform. And I I feel like I had actually so many business breakthroughs and personal breakthroughs, joining an adult beginner band and just being willing to do it, even though Parts of my brain were like, you don't do that. This is going to be horrible. You're going to suck. Everyone's going to make fun of you. You're going to be judged. And just kind of like going through it has been really fun. Um, so yeah, our band, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> Which I do, by the way, with my business partner. <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm I'm over here dying of laughter as you're sharing that story. Because about the same time you did that, I started training for jujitsu. Awesome. Like, I, I, most of my life I've considered myself an athlete. Like I played sports in college. Like I've always been doing something and, but I haven't done a new sport in decades. And so maybe yoga was like the newest sport 20 years ago I tried. Right. And so I go to jujitsu and they have this move that you kind of have to rock back and forth and zigzag up and down the mat. I would just burst into tears with laughter because I wouldn't move. Everyone else in class is like moving up and down the mat like a normal human. And I'm just rocking back and forth. Like I'm just stuck here, like having a small seizure. And (laughs) then I really couldn't do it because I'm laughing so hard because I can't do it. And my instructor would just be like, just get up and go back in line. Like, (laughs) it's okay. But it was so fun to be in that space of you look like a fucking idiot. Like, well done. And it's great. Mm -hmm. I I did something similar. I went and tried parkour, which was insane. And I felt really stupid, but I think that, you know, as kids we're willing to try new things and fail and brush it off and we laugh Mm -hmm. about it and we continue. 
there's this thing about growing older, you become experts at things. And the more you're an expert, the more you experience learning anxiety because you are an expert at X, Y, Z. So you don't want to go do that thing over there because you don't want to, you're, you're an expert. So it's, it's an interesting conundrum to be an expert and still be a lifetime learner and being willing to, you know, go out there and it, and it's actually a muscle that you can practice and build. So I love it. I'm committed to feeling more like an idiot. Yeah. I think it'll be fun. Yeah. So I've been doing that too. You know what I, my new idiot realm is TikTok. (laughs) Oh, yep. Yeah. Which was like, it was really, really hard for me. My business, I have another business partner, Rochelle, and she's been trying to get me to do them for a long time, like maybe six months. And I was like, I don't do that kind of stuff. That's not me. I can't. And I knew that it was something that I needed to do for business and for myself even. And I worked with a coach and he said, what is, what's the problem? You know? And I was like, well, um, I don't know that I can act. I don't know if I'd be any good. I might really suck at it. People would judge me. You know, people, my older, my people, my age would be wondering why am I on TikTok? My son thinks it's cringy that his mom's going to do something on TikTok. (laughs) I had all these reasons why not. And he just said, what if you did a TikTok and it didn't go viral and it was like no big deal, but one person saw it mm-hmm. and it impacted one person, how they saw the world, how they saw themselves, what they saw was possible. Like, would you be willing to get past your ego and all this stuff that you're doing to help and contribute to one person? And I was like, damn. All right. We have okay. to, we have to get like, it has to be about other people. Otherwise we yes. will never make things. <laughs> I will definitely do more out of my commitment for others than I would for myself. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what I always put at the forefront for me is, can this help someone? Can it serve someone? Can it impact someone? Even if it's tiny, small. Yeah. Even if yeah. I look like a total asshole, if they feel better about themselves, great. you're welcome (laughs) well and and, you know that brings up the other part I think of being a modern powerful lady like we whether we have a business or we're in a other professional space we care about so many things you know someone shared with me recently like all the things that are happening in the world and I was just like fuck like I Mm -hmm. get so frustrated watching news or whatever it is, because they never tell us at the end, if you don't like this, here's what you can do. And I really want to petition them to they start don't give you actions. That. Yeah. Right. There's nothing. It's just like, all right, here it is. Bye. Have a good night. And you're like, no, 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 no. You just opened up a can of worms. You cannot leave me in this capacity. And it's been so crazy to see so much going on and not know, like, I am a person of action. You are a person of action. If we don't like something, we change it. And so how do you balance seeing things, you know, in your local community and broader communities? Like, how do you balance knowing all this stuff is going on and knowing that you're powerful and you can make a difference and deciding how do you keep balance between moving where you need to forward and making the impact that you want to? It's a great question. Um, it, it goes back to what we've been talking about of focusing, being intentional and having your niche. 
So I want to save the planet. I've done sea turtle conservation for three weeks with my son in Costa Rica. I want to help the people in whatever is going on in the Middle East and over in Asia. Like I want to help the world. And what I have discovered and like come to for myself is I want to help more people break out of being a full-time employee to find their full-time freedom so that they can pursue and follow their passion. So my thing is, how do I free you? Look, as long as people are at their desks working 40 to 50 hours a week in a rat race, barely making ends meet, they're never going to be able to think about all the other things that they could be doing in the world. But if I can help them be business owners, find freedom and flexibility, they will go out and also solve the problems of the world. So I'm just focused on one problem. Yeah. More entrepreneurs, more freelancers, more business owners, and then let them go do all that. And yes, you know, of course, will I, I will continue to take volunteer trips in the summers with my kids, because I think that that kind of perspective is very critical for my children Mm -hmm. because they are privileged. And I don't, I want them to have a bigger perspective of the world. And yes, will I donate financially? Of course I will participate, but I know that my main focus is people and entrepreneurship. Yep. And it's where my heart, I mean, it, it like, I literally think about my clients all the time. Cause I love them. I'm like mm-hmm. literally in love with them. And yep. I'm just thinking, okay, yeah, they have a lot to say about it, but I have a responsibility to help them turn their lives out. Mm-hmm. They're like my kids. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And it makes me feel more emboldened to keep going, knowing that like, um, I've been listening to Peloton, right? I do the workouts. Uh, I don't have a bike, but I do all the workouts and I love their running outdoor because they coach you. Basically, you have a running coach. And Robin, when she coaches you on the run, this Beyonce 20-minute run, which is one of my I did favorites. not know about this. I'm like, what? Oh. You can do Peloton without a Peloton? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like cheaper than Netflix. It And they gamified it. So you were like, I need my dot. I don't care if it's five-minute core. Like You start getting very competitive with yourself. And but there are similarities that might work for you like it does for me. But there's this thing at the end of this run, which is so great. And she's talking you through it. And she's such a powerful lady. Like she's so badass anyway. And she's like, all right, I want you to stand where you are and like put your hands out because there are other women who are there with their hands out and you're holding hands right now. And together you can do anything. And you, Sherry, like your why is my why of, of how yeah. I also handle it. Because the same things, you you literally spoke words from my heart in that in that answer. And so it's just so em- empowering to know that you know, there's, there's you and I, and there's other people on this same mission that we don't get to all connect and talk to each other. And that's why it's not about, it, it's not about the competition space, right? It's like you and I are both business coaches. You and I both help people with their companies. Great. Like, and there's awesome. so many people who need to be awakened so, and need so, to have solutions. <laughs> there's so, so many. many. There's so many. And like, and like, I know it'd be fun to work together on a project. No, it'd be fun to do this. And like, it just, it makes me feel better that there are people who are on the same mission mm-hmm. so that when I'm frustrated, like, I'm like, nope, Leslie's doing it. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Like we have to do it for, for everybody else in that sense, because it, you don't need to be the next Steve Jobs or the next whatever 10xing multi-billion dollar tech company. Like that's not what entrepreneurship means. It's, you know, 
there's a way to make all the money you want and put water in Africa. Yeah. I mean, I tell people straight away, if you're looking to start this big company, that's going to be this multi half billion dollar company that you're going to sell, or you hope someone's going to acquire it. I'm not your coach. That's not the thing that I do. Mm -hmm. I want to help the quote average person who's stuck in a dead end job, who can't make their ends meet, who's unfulfilled and feels stuck, learn how to find full-time freedom, work for themselves and earn six figures. Like it's a big thing for someone to jump from 50, 60, 70 grand a year to hundred, 120. Yeah. It's a big shift. That's, I'm not that big businesswoman. I am all about small business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for everyone who's super excited about you, (laughs) where can they find you? How can they follow you? What's next? Sure. Um, Our company is called Cut Class because we are basically shortening, like giving people a shortcut. The handles for us, our website is Let's Cut Class. And on Instagram, it's Let's underscore Cut Class. It's the same at TikTok. If anyone wants to find me personally, my handles are Let Go and Discover um, because that at the end of the day is what I'm here to do is help myself and others let go of whatever they think so that they can discover kind of like what's on the other side of whatever fear or doubt or barriers that they're experiencing. I love it. Well, I could talk to you for hours. I hope that I get to have you on again. Um, but yeah, thank you for being, you know, a sister in changing the world through business. Cause it sure is a lot of fun. I am 100% behind you. I will help you and support you and anyone who is connected with you. I am a resource. I adore you. I am so excited. We finally connect on this podcast and I know that we're going to keep connecting and I love what you're out there doing. Um, I remember when you told me what you were doing, when you left mm-hmm. super and you were starting this coaching agency, there was a tiny bit of like, I was so happy for you. And I was definitely envious. Cause I was like, she's going to be out there like one-on-one, like helping people and like creating. And I, I knew that was like something for me, but at the time I was doing what I was doing and like had some commitments and I've always been super inspired by you. You are definitely the embodiment of a powerful lady. And I love that you are helping powerful ladies and powerful men discover themselves. Um, I think with you, you know, people get to let go of who they think that they are and discover who they can be. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for seeing me, right? That somebody, I heard a quote the other day of like, who sees you when you're quiet? And I thought that was so powerful. And yeah, like my entrepreneur and my powerful lady and my COO, all my, all my people sees and honors those people in you. So thank you. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. All the links that connect with Leslie, Cut Class, and etc. are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com forward slash podcast. There you can also leave comments and ask questions about this episode. If you want more Powerful Ladies, be sure you're joining us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. You can also find some free downloads there to start being powerful today. Please subscribe to this podcast and help us connect with more listeners like you by leaving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking to connect directly with me, please visit caraduffy.com or on Instagram, Kara underscore Duffy. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. Without her, this podcast wouldn't be possible. You can follow her on Instagram at Jordan K. Duffy. 
We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.